Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Last Sunday, I began our time together by taking a survey. And the survey uh, was of your favorite Christmas song. You remember that if you were here? And I had you think for a couple of seconds about what your favorite Christmas song might be. Well, today I want to do a different survey, okay? The survey is this. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Okay, sacred or secular, either one. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Get that in your mind because I'm going to ask you to shout that out in just a minute, okay? Favorite Christmas movie. You about ready? On three. One, two, three. Okay. I heard, heard several. I heard Elf. I, I think I heard Jingle Bells uh, or Jingle All the Way, um, something like that. Uh, did anybody say A Christmas Story? We got one A Christmas Story over here. All right, two A Christmas Story. Do I have three? Going one? No. Uh, we got three back there. I, I do love me some of that A Christmas Story movie. It is, um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I love Ralphie's vision of getting that Red Ryder BB gun, baby. You know, just the, the way that that kid could dream. There are a lot of scenes from that movie that I do love very, very much. Um, several of them that make me laugh. One of them that just, just wells up inside of me every time. Uh, is, is, is this picture here. Do y'all remember that scene when Ralphie's little brother, Randy, his mom's getting him ready to go out to school in the snowy day, and she has bound him up so much that he can't even put his arms down. She pushes his arms, and they pop back up because he's just so overdressed and, and bound up. And then shortly after that, you know, he leaves the house, and he trips and falls in in the snow, and what happens? He can't get up. He's so weighted down with all the clothes. He's so bound up and, and, and constricted because his mom's just over, overdressed him. How many of you have ever felt so bound up, so pressed down, weighted down from the struggles in life that you didn't think you were going to be able to get back up. Yeah, ever had, had a moment like that at some point, some, some time? You know, I think if, if all of us were honest, we would say that. I, I know my bling here has been real distracting, so I'm going to take it off and just lay it right there. Um, we'll explain that in just a little bit. But I, I, I think all of us go through these moments in life where life is cumbersome. It, it feels kind of uh, burdensome, and we don't feel like we can get up. A couple years ago, um, one of the books that I read was entitled The Coddling of the American Mind. And I read it because it won a couple of awards, but I really was more captured by the subtitle. Listen to the subtitle of the book. It says, How Good Intentions But Bad Ideas Are Setting an Entire Generation Up for Failure. I thought, I'd, I need to see that. But here's, here's basically Joe's book summary of, of that book. The author tells us that no matter how good our intentions are, if the ideas beneath those intentions are bad, if, if the path that we're walking on seems good, but it's the wrong path, we can have the best intentions. But if, if what's taking place doesn't align with reality, we're going to end up in some pretty broken broken places, leaving us, you know, asking the question, I, I, I wanted to go here, but now that I'm here, I think I want to be someplace better. And life just becomes kind of this, this cycle, and we end up finally getting to the place where we've pursued this dream after this dream after this dream, and we can't get up because we just feel, you know, so pressed down. We arrive at this place that we thought it was going to be a certain way, and it it didn't turn out. We, we approach, you know, a relationship a certain way and think it's going to be this way, and it ends up 
being a whole lot harder than we imagine. We, we find out oftentimes when it's too late that this way that we had kind of decided to pacify our pain actually leads us to an addiction. We find out that that job that now that we've got it doesn't provide the longing our soul hoped it would fill and our heart is just kind of broken again. You know, there's an, an entire book in the Bible that's kind of about life that way. Written by King Solomon. Uh, it's entitled Ecclesiastes. And in it, he calls that pursuit chasing the wind. Now, I bring this up because that, that idea of life that way um, is spoken to in the Christmas story. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to go back to Galatians chapter 4. We've been looking at one of the briefest Christmas stories in Scripture. Paul is sharing a a, a brief uh, part of the Christmas story with the church at Galatia. We've been camping out here, and we've been in this series that we're called A Full Christmas. And we've said that we all fill Christmas up with something. But the question is, do the things that we fill Christmas up, do they give us life Or do they rob us of life? And we've been journeying with the Apostle Paul through this. And uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, we've been looking at this. And it says this, but when the fullness of time had come. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about what that looked like. And we said that God had made these these promises of, uh, of a coming Messiah, but it would be thousands of years before he would fulfill those promises. And all that time in between was time that was not filled. It was not time that was full. It was time that was in some way empty. And we said that Advent, the journey that we've been on for the last four weeks, that this journey of Advent is really about training us to wait, to continue to, to wait on the next promise of God to to be fulfilled, and we need to discipline our hearts there. So Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then last week we looked at verse 6 in greater detail. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And we looked, and last week we we concluded that one of the powers of Christmas is that God came to dwell among us so that he could eventually indwell us. That was our big takeaway last week. And uh, this week I want us to look at verse 7 because Paul writes something here that really, truly, if we're going to have a, a really full Christmas, the kind of Christmas that God I- intends, you've got to be captured by this. Verse 7 says this, So you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave, but a son. Some translations say a, a child. And if a, a, a son, a child, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, it's really interesting to me that Paul, who is, I I think of him as kind of the resident uh, biblical writing expert on freedom. He wrote more about freedom than any other biblical writer did, this concept of freedom. And the book of Galatians is kind of like his greatest work that expresses what this freedom is that we have in Christ. He mentions it 10 times in this little short letter. Um, It's just an incredible kind of treaty, if you will, uh, uh, his thesis on this idea uh, of freedom. And he, he, he makes this clear in chapter 4, um, verse 7 that we just read. And here's the big idea, the kind of my big takeaway as I think about uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 is this. The incarnation, the incarnation, when, when the fullness of time came, the incarnation sets us free from incarceration. The incarnation sets us free from being held captive. The incarnation sets us free from captivity. The incarnation sets us free. So Christmas does this. We're no longer a slave because of Christmas, but a child. God rescuing us from captivity, purchasing us with the blood of of His Son who would come at Christmas time. Friends, this is 
the heart of Christmas. Freedom is, is the heart of Christmas. It's why Jesus came. It was God's method of getting us back and making us his family. Jesus rescues us from these cosmic enemies of, 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 of sin and death. And Paul will go on to tell us that he does this to free us to live newness of life. Many of us know that Jesus came to bring freedom. But far too often, we live like Ralphie's little brother, Randy. We live bound up. We live weighted, weighted down, just kind of rolling around in this thing called life. So I, I want us to take some moments this morning to re-examine what Paul means when he sets free and to do it in the context of Christmas and what Paul has written here to the church at Galatia. So I want us to answer two big questions. What are we free from? And what are we free for? Because Paul talks about both of these uh, in this letter and as well as other letters that he writes to other churches. So if you look back in Galatians 4 and jump back up to verse 1, we didn't read that a moment ago, but in verse 1 he says, I mean, now Paul had been writing in chapter 3, what we know is chapter 3, uh, about grace. And now he, he goes and he says this in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And what Paul is picturing here is somebody who's kind of uh, born in an influential family, somebody who has, would have access to wealth and, and riches, every, all the good things in life. It's at their fingertips, but they don't have control over it. They're, they're a child, and though it actually belongs to them, they have guardians set over that so that they don't, they don't waste it. They're not allowed to touch it yet. They're, they're not allowed to experience all the, the immediate benefits of it because their parents were wise to know that they would probably blow it. Well, here's what Paul is saying when he, he's talking about, about grace in chapter 3 and the law. That, that's kind of the context for that, what the law was like. And Paul is saying the law is like that guardian. The law is like that tutor that it was in preparation for something more. That the law was given to intend, it was intended to teach us so that we'd eventually be able to enjoy the freedom that Jesus would come and bring. Look at verse 3. Paul writes these words. He says, in the same way we also, when we were children... We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. There's that idea of being enslaved again. And he's talking here about the way that the Jews became enslaved to the law of the Old Testament. Jump down to verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He's talking about that kind of slavery, the people who did not yet know God. But in verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, and I love this line, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the world and to those worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You, you want to be slaves again? It's what he's asking. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul starts off by talking about the Old Testament law saying it was good, but it wasn't the end game. It was good, but it was only good as your tutor. And he goes on to say that because people did not place the law in its appropriate role, that it, it became something almost evil in, in their lives. It was no longer used as it was intended. And so the law became a source of destruction in the minds and hearts of people who were using it to try to make themselves good enough to be accepted by God. And the law was never intended for that. It actually had become, in the, the mind of many of the Jews, a pagan religion where they were trying to just kind of, you know, enchant God somehow by their good behavior. And, and, and here's the basis of all of that. It's trying to come to God on our own terms. That's just the essence of that, that kind of movement. The, the Old Testament law was given to help us see sin for what it was, to identify sin. It wasn't given to help us prevent it. It was help us see it. 
Let me see if I can explain it this way. My wife, we don't have a fireplace in our home. So to set the mood of Christmas, she goes to YouTube and she turns this giant fireplace on her big screen TV. Now, she will tell you it actually warms her up. You know, that there's actually this kind of warming effect by, because you just kind of sense that. But the truth is, a fire on a TV would never warm someone who is homeless and cold. Never. A picture of a great, big, juicy steak with a buttery baked potato and a side of green, luscious broccoli will never satisfy somebody who's hungry because it, it's just a picture. And that was the way the law was. It was a picture for something that was yet to come. Friends, the greatest danger, the greatest danger to freedom in, in life with God is never going to be atheism or secularism. It will always be religion. Thinking that we can do something to please God so that he'll love us more. And so Paul writes that in the fullness of time, that, that at Christmas, and he wants us to know something, that in the Christ of Christmas, we have freedom. And one of the things we have freedom from is the freedom from legalism. Now, if you want a quick definition of, of what legalism is, it's simply the belief that I can earn the favor of God by my behavior. That's just a, a simple definition of, of legalism. And, and here's the truth about all of us. All of us, because of our culture and our world and our own flesh, we're kind of hardwired to drift into that. You know? If, if you've been somebody who's been hanging around River Bluff, you know, for lots and lots and lots of Sundays, especially you, I'm going to ask you to step back for just a moment. Or if you've just hung out in church uh, a lot of your life on, on Sundays, I'm going to ask you to step back and kind of relook at this again because it's just so easy to slip back into the pattern of legalism. I, I've been doing some reading and trying to collect articles when I come across them um, about the, the rampant rate and spike of depression um, among students, especially high school students. Uh, this trend started uh, even before the pandemic. Um, I've got some articles that go back to 2010, 12, 14 that uh, talk about this, that uh, folks who study this began noticing it. Counselors began noticing it. Psychiatrists began noticing it. And they kind of asked some researchers to, to do a little investigating. And so they came up and found that there were different things. But one of the great sources of uh, this kind of depression in the hearts of, of uh, high school students has to do with this idea of feeling like no matter what I do, it's never enough. No matter, no matter what I do, it's never enough. There's always, there's always one more activity. There's always one more person to impress. There's always one more AP class to take and, and one more thing to do to get into that college that I want to get into. And, and, and students are starting to feel like they, everything they try, they just don't completely measure up. And so the pressure feels relentless. And as I've kind of read that finding, one of the things that struck me is that I think oftentimes people feel that way about church, about this, you know, trying harder and more, 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 and it, it, never, it never ends up being uh, enough. When is God going to be okay with me? Friends, that's the definition of legalism. It's just the definition of legalism. If, if you're asking the question, God, will you be okay with me when I do this? Or God, will you be okay with me if I do that? That's just pure, pure legalism. And it, it destroys your soul. And what Paul is saying here is there will be no freedom. No freedom in your soul as long as legalism is, is having a, a space there. And what Jesus did at Christmas Paul is writing, when time was fulfilled, Jesus stepped into the system, that broken system of the law, so that you and I could walk in, in freedom. I don't know if you caught it when we read it a moment ago, but Paul says, 
you know, one of the things that was going on in that day is Galatians, the, 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 the Christians in Galatia, they were, they were starting to go back into trying to celebrate holidays in a certain way, trying to, trying to please God by celebrating holidays in, in a certain way, thinking to themselves, you know, if, if I can do it this way, you know, it, it, it would, thinking they could observe a day a certain way, and, and Paul is kind of taking issue with that. You know, they were trying to go back and celebrate feasts in such a way that they, they could make God happy with them. Friends, that is not celebrating. That is transacting. That's just trying to make a transaction uh, w- with God. You know, if, if I do this, God's going to be okay with me. It's kind of like, well, you know, if, if Joe, you know, if he celebrates Christmas this certain way, then he'll be good with me. If he'll follow all the Christmas rules and regulations, then, then Joe will be good with me. That's not, that's not God's plan for us. You know, one, just speaking of the context of days, I want to announce this. I announced it last week. I'm going to announce it again. Um, our gathering for worship for the coming week is going to be on Christmas Eve. We're not going to have a gathering on Christmas Day. Our, our staff has put together um, a, a worship at home video experience that I hope you'll take advantage of. It'll, it'll come up live at, at 6 in the morning. Uh, that day, you enjoy it whenever the Lord... Uh, would allow your family to do that, but we're not going to gather here. And this idea of, you know, you got to do it this way, this way, a certain way. Friends, all of our worship that's not worship and freedom can cause us to, to fall into captivity to legalism. Just thinking, okay, we got to be okay with God. Just a little bit more, God, just a little bit more. God, when will we be okay with you? Because that's what legalism says. Friends, Christmas cries out, There is nothing else to earn. Nothing. Nothing more that you can do to earn from God. Nothing. Not not one thing. Now, if you're going, Joe, how do you know that for certain? Look with me at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul, again, writing to this issue to another church. He says this in verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Read it out loud with me. With every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings? Every one of them. All of them. What's missing? Nothing. There's nothing missing. There's not another spiritual blessing out there. There's nothing else for you to, to run after. To be right with God. If you're in Christ, because he brought that through Christ. So things like quiet time, times of prayer, Bible studies, acts of justice, caring for the poor, giving generously and sacrificially, helping those in need, having experiences with God, you know, in worship, all of those are absolutely wonderful. But friends... God is not keeping score in order to love you more. That is not going to happen. He's not, it's not a checklist for God. He's already given you every spiritual blessing. See, pagans run after trying to appease gods, but not followers of Jesus. We know that we are known by God, as Paul said, and we know God. And if that's true then we're free from having to try to earn. We're free from that because God gave it all. And if that's true, and it is, then there are two other things, at least, there are many more, but there are at least two things that I want to talk about today that are also true for you. And because Christmas has declared that there's nothing left to earn, then we can see God freely entering into our lives. God can freely enter into the mess. God can freely enter into the pain. See, religion tries to tell us, man, once you get yourself cleaned up, get your act cleaned up, put on your your Sunday best, then then maybe God can come into something like that. Maybe God could do something in in a life like that. See, religion wants to tell, if you get pretty enough and made up enough, then God will meet with you there. Christmas, the narratives in the Gospels of, of Christmas... The story of Jesus' coming declares God shows up in the mess. 
He shows up in a dirty, messy stable, in a manger that animals ate out of. It's this imperfect mess. Jesus didn't show up in a palace. He came into the mess. And if there's nothing else to earn, God can enter freely in, into your mess. And my mess. And the truth is, we all. We all are, are a mess. And God wants to freely enter that because there's nothing left to earn. Second thing, because Christmas declares there's nothing left to earn, we can stop striving and start enjoying. We can just enjoy a relationship with God. We can delight in it. We don't have to strive. I love the imagery. I love the imagery of Jesus' story about the prodigal son. I just, I love that imagery about that dad. He's not like when that, that son comes back after having wasted all of his inheritance, after having disrespected his dad so tremendously. That dad's not like, okay, here's the deal. You got these three hoops to jump through, and if you jump through these now, we'll be right. He's not like that. The dad runs to him. The dad Christmases him. Can you say that? Is there such a verb as Christmases? He Christmases him. He, he gives him the best he's got. He sends the, the best robe. He, he sends for the fatted calf. He gives him his best ring. He, he, he Christmases him. Friends, there's a, he throws a party. You know, there is a reason that Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a party. It's going to be a feast. Because it is, it's to be filled with joy, a, a celebration. As I was preparing this message, one of the things that God put on my heart to pray for us, for you, is that in this season of Christmas, as you, as you kind of re-engage in the freedom that, that Jesus came to give you at Christmas, is that you would experience just the music of grace flowing over you. You would experience the, just the grace of God, even in your mess. Because that's what, that's what Christmas is. And Christmas, one of the songs of God's grace at Christmas is, you're free from legalism. You don't have to live that way anymore. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, okay, you were, you're free from legalism, but he unpacks that a little further. Look at Galatians 5.13. He says, for you were called to freedom. You're called to this. This is what you're, 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 I have for you, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, I believe that Paul wrote those words because the Holy Spirit inspired him, one, but because he knew where our minds would go. If, if you really think about it, when you hear the word, you're free. You're, you're, you're free. You don't have to, you know, it's not about the rules in order to experience my love. Paul knew that this would be one of our next thoughts. Well, if I'm free, live and let live. Eat, drink, be merry. Do whatever natural desire comes. Just, just feed the need, baby. Paul, Paul knew that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, if I'm free, I, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. You know, it's 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 similar thing to that that Paul Paul steps into this here with Galatians. He also does it in the letter to the church at Rome. I want you to look at this in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. He's talked about again about the incredible grace of God. In verse 15, he asks this question: What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And Paul's answer was. Well, by no means. Here's what I want you to be captured by this morning, okay, on, on this. Um, if you've hung out at the river for a while and you've heard us teach on, on grace and God's mercy and, and freedom in Christ, if all of that teaching has never led you to have the thought, well, then am I free to do whatever I want to? then we haven't taught it good enough yet. See, what Paul is saying is, if you're going to really understand God's grace and his mercy and freedom, it will lead you to ask the question, well, does that mean I'm free to do, do anything? 
That's a natural kind of follow-through thought. And so if you haven't had that thought, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you haven't had that thought. We haven't taught enough about God's grace and mercy yet. Because Paul addresses that. Paul knows that thought will, will follow. And he says, no, no, no. It's not what your freedom's for. Your freedom is for something more. Your freedom is for something better. Something greater. Let me rewind for a second. See, the, the, the problem of doing whatever you want is that it doesn't actually bring freedom. If everybody always did what they want, it could actually leave you like Ralphie's little brother Randy, still bound up, but bound up with something heavier and something more, more oppressing. If you go back and you read some of the ancient philosophers, um, like Plato, uh, the Greek philosopher Plato, one of the things that you will find is that they understood something that our culture doesn't grab hold of today. Even though they, they were not Christ followers, they picked up on truth that we find in the Scriptures. Listen to how Plato described freedom in his work entitled The Republic. Um, he says this, an individual is free when his or her reasoning rules their soul in line with the good. Rules their soul in line with the good. What he's suggesting is that real freedom is being able to step back in the moment and ask the question, will this that I'm about to do lead me to life? Will it lead me to what is good and right and perfect, or will it lead me somewhere else? That's what Plato's claim was real freedom, and that's in line with biblical teaching. And it's what, what Paul is actually communicating here to the churches that he's writing to. But friends, something happened during the Enlightenment in, in human history. Something devastating happened. We started to redefine freedom. And freedom no longer became the ability to choose what is best and the ability to choose what, what leads to good and, and flourishing. Freedom became redefined as to doing whatever I want to and breaking whatever oppression is trying to stop me from doing what I want to when I want to. You know, anything that tells me in certain circumstances, don't do that. I need to overcome that. That's not freedom. So when the church proclaims God's word that tells us, you know, don't, don't go here, don't go there, avoid this, well, that's not freedom. And I need to shake that off. Even if it's good and it would lead to a better life, if they're telling me not to do it, I need to do it. I need to shake it off. You know, if the government is telling me I can't do something or I got to do something, that's not real freedom. See, truthfully, all of us, when we reach a level of maturation, we know that true freedom requires some limits. There's got to be some limits. You know, for us to be free people, those who would severely abuse others need to face imprisonment. We know that. We're free, you know, to be on the roads, but the only way real freedom for driving can come is if those people who feel a need and, and have the propensity to drink and drive, that they don't get driver's license. You know, we, we want to be free, but we know that there are certain restrictions that must come until maturity comes. And so there's certain things that you can't do until you're a certain age. And so Paul is saying in this, in the Christ of Christmas, we have freedom from legalism, but we also, in the Christ of Christmas, we have freedom from licentiousness. From licentiousness. That's just a big Bible word that means natural desires. We have freedom. We do not have to fulfill all of our natural desires. We don't have to chase after every whim. We have the freedom to step back and ask God, is this good for me? Is this best for others? Let me, let me say it a different way. Freedom in Christ is the ability to choose our deepest desire rather than our strongest desire. Right now, this is just confession, okay? Right now in this season, my strongest desire 
is to eat lots of Christmas treats. That's just the reality. Eat them Christmas treats, man. My deepest desire is my health. I want to be healthy. So we'll, we'll start that December 26th, okay? You know, but just, just my strongest desire right now. You know, if you're, if you're a parent with a kid at home, sometimes your strongest desire might be that your child like you. But hopefully your deepest desire will always be that they will grow to be, you know, a productive citizen who walks in the joy of the Lord and blesses the world. Oftentimes our strongest desires are for self-protection, but a better desire is intimacy and relationship. Too often in our culture, our strongest desire can be towards lust when a much deeper and better desire is to love. See, and, and Paul is saying, we don't have to give in to our strongest desires. We, we can, we're set free. Jesus came at Christmas to set us free so that we could choose our deepest desire over our strongest desire. That we could choose the way of the kingdom of God. You know, we, we could probably go around this room and say, my deepest desire is this. But too often, this strongest desire wins. And, and what Jesus says is, I want to free you from walking down those roads that will ultimately lead you to brokenness. Because, because of Christmas, in the fullness of time, Jesus said, I came to give you freedom from legalism, to give you freedom from licentiousness, where you don't have to give in to every, every whim and desire. But Christmas is not always, is not only, not only uh, gifts of freedom from. Christmas is also the gifts of freedom for some things. And I want us to think about that for just a couple of minutes together. Look at Romans 6, 4. Paul writes this, we were buried therefore with him, speaking of Jesus, by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You have fr freedom. You have freedom from some things, but you also, because of the incarnation, have freedom to some things, to accomplish some things. In the Christ of Christmas, you have the freedom to live, to really, truly, deeply live. I'd encourage you to spend some time reading Romans 6. It really is a great, a, 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 just a great chapter on how, how to do that. You know, so often our, our lives are bent towards always looking on the other side of the fence at the greener grass. And so much of the time, we end up maybe getting over there but we find it's no better. We, we find ourselves bound up by something new, enslaved to, to some new desire. As an addiction just claws its way into your soul, or anger that you can't seem to shake, or, or lust that just keeps kicking itself in gear in your soul. And Jesus comes to bring life different than that. And so we, we kind of cry out, how? Well, God's word directs us to the how. In verse 6 of Romans 6, Paul writes these words. We know that our old self. Now that old self that he's talking about is that self that is always seeking to feed those natural desires. That's what that old self is. He says we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Paul is saying if you want to walk in that newness of life, if you want to, to live, if you want the freedom to live, you got to recognize that ultimately every life is under some master. Every, every life is under some master. Every, every life is living with something lording over it. It may be desires. It may be addictions. It may be pursuit of, of fame or power or, or money. And what Paul wants to say is, no, 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 no. 
Make Jesus master over life if you want to live. Surrender those other pursuits. Surrender those to pursuing your walk with the Lord. Surrender. Jump down to to verse 11 of Romans chapter 6. We read this. So you also must consider yourself, consider, you need to think about it, yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. See, what you think about in relationship to to your desires actually will determine what you do with them, how you live from them. And Paul says, you need to remind yourself, I don't have to follow that. I don't have to give in to that. I don't have to go there. And the way to do it, Paul is saying here, you got to preach the gospel to yourself. you got to tell yourself the gospel story, the power of freedom that you have to live differently. There's a a pastor and theologian by the name of Dr. Neil Anderson who has helped me uh, and so many of us around the river incredibly uh, in in this issue to know what it means to stand firm in our freedom. Um, He started something called Freedom in Christ Ministries. And if if this is an area of your life that you want you want to experience, you want to live in more of the freedom that Jesus came to bring at Christmas, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to, to subscribe to a daily email devotional that will just show up in your email if you go subscribe to it. It's called Daily in Christ. And if I'm going to post something on Realm today about with the link to get you there, and uh, and if you're saying, Joe, I'm not on Realm yet, but I want, to, I want to do this. If you'll just email me, J-S-T-I-L-L at riverbluff.org, I will, I will send you the link. But it can help you. It can help you in, in your, your desire to walk in the freedom that Jesus came to bring at, at Christmas. I'll also tell you something else. If you've never picked one of these up, uh, one of the Who Am I in Christ cards that are in our card kind of catalog hanging on the wall on your way out in the, on the A hallway. Pick up one of those who I am in Christ and just start reading those scriptures and studying those statements, meditating on the truth of what the Bible, who the Bible says you are in Christ, and you can walk in freedom. But you gotta, you got to consider it, Paul said. you gotta, you got to think on it. you got to know that you know that you know these things are true for you. Let, let, me, let me just say it this way. Uh, again, hoping to, to, to communicate it. See, your freedom, it was purchased, it was purchased by Jesus, but it's got to be embraced by you. Our freedom was purchased, my freedom was purchased by Jesus, but it's got to be embraced by me. You've got to embrace it. You can't, you can't just think it's just going to happen. You got to think about it, but you got to do more than that. Look at Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Paul writes again, let sin, or let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Here's what will happen if you do. It will make you obey its passion. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members, talking about the members of your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. Friends, here's the the deal. We get this wrong when we think all we have to do is believe what we read in the scriptures. you got to do that, absolutely. It's got to be in your mind, but it's only part of the equation. It's a big part of the equation, but it's only a part of the equation. Yes, you have to engage your mind, but you also have to engage your body because your body is a key player, and the members of your body are key players in your spiritual formation. And so Paul says, don't present any member of your body, your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, don't present any member of your body to sin. Instead, practically live in in the freedom, in the spirit-empowered freedom. And and what that means is, I I can be free from anger. I I don't have to exist in my anger, but I've got to do something with my body. I got to practice battling against anger or I'll never be free. I can't keep delivering my body, my mind, my eyes, my my heart. I can't keep delivering those into anger. I got to do something different. We can be set free. 
We, we can be set free from the captivity of lust if I don't put my eyes in a place and present my, my eyes to, to, to sin. I don't have to live that way anymore or I'll continue in captivity. And so I can decide to renew my mind in Scripture and, and, and go to God in prayer and do things, you know, like fasting. I can engage my body to practice disciplines empowered by the Spirit that have transformative power in my life. Does that make sense? That it's not just your, your belief, it's your body too. You've got to bring it all to the Lord in order to see kind of breakthrough to live in freedom. Here's the last thing that I want us to kind of think about this morning, and then we'll kind of begin closing up. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, and you two sisters. Called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You have freedom. You, you have freedom to live, but you also have freedom. In Christ, in the Christ of Christmas, we have freedom to love. And, and that's why, friends, you, you, you're first given freedom from legalism and freedom from licentiousness so that you can be free to love. That, that hesed kind of love that was being displayed in, in Mary and Joseph earlier. That, that, that hesed kind of love from God, that faithful love of God that we can then pour out on others. Friends, if we were still under legalism, if we were still trapped by that, we'd spend more time trying to be right than loving others. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody that's always got to be right? There's, there's no room for love. There's no room for, for love. You know, the reason that we're set free from licentiousness is so that we don't have to only spend our lives chasing after these, these desires. We're set free from legalism and we're set free from licentiousness so we don't have to only be concerned with ourselves, only feeding our desires, but instead we're able to look around and see one another, and see that people are in need, and, and I can love them. So when Paul writes about this, you know, he says, yeah, Jesus, his coming, it, when, when time was full, Jesus came to bring freedom, and that freedom is about love, being truly free to love. Look at Galatians 5.1. It says, for freedom, for freedom, that freedom to love. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm, free from legalism. Stand firm, free, free from licentiousness. You don't have to give in to your, your desires. You're actually free to pursue your deepest desire above your strongest desire. And you're free to live. Because you're no longer trying to earn love from God, you're free to, to live with Him, not having to strive anymore, but just enjoy life with God, surrendering your life to the Master because He, he loves you. You can trust Him. And then you'll be free to really love, to be loved by God and then really love those around you. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you've been wondering, okay, Joe, when are you going to get to the chain? I hope you picked one of these up on your way in. Did you, did you see them and grab a, a link? I'm going to just ask you to grab it right now. If you did, if not, get one on the way out. I, I am hoping, I'm hoping that this is going to end up being one of your favorite Christmas gifts. And I know you're saying, Joe, this is a cheap plastic broken chain link. Joe, you're You're cheap. If this is the best Christmas gift you got for me, you're cheap, baby. Well, here's why, here's why I'm hoping it's going to be one of the best gifts you got. Because this broken chain link, I pray, will remind you of the freedom that Jesus came to bring you at Christmas. 
Because he did. He came to set you free. To break the chain that keeps you from experiencing the freedom that you have to live. The freedom that you have to love. And because we are so easily and so prone to step back into captivity, as Paul told us, I just want you to take a few moments this morning to ask the Lord, Lord, what is it this Christmas that you want to break that has me chained up, that is keeping me from experiencing the life of love that you came to set me free to experience? What, what right now is keeping me captive? Because Jesus, I, I, want, I want it to be broken. Just like this chain link is broken, I want it to be broken. So I want us to do that this morning. But I also want to encourage you to just keep this with you between now and Christmas Day. And pull it out. And just worship the Lord who came in the fullness of time so that you would no longer be a slave. But a son, a daughter, a child of God. Free. Free from legalism. Free from licentiousness. Free to live. And free to love. Let's pray. Lord, we come in this moment. We, we just come, God, to worship you. But also to receive from you, Lord. I know in my own life how, how often I am prone to return to captivity. But you came to set us free. You came in the fullness of time that first Christmas day to bring freedom to the captives. And so, God, we come in this moment, all of us, saying, Lord, if there is some place that is keeping me in captivity, keeping me in bondage, keeping me in chains, keeping me from experiencing freedom, to live, enjoying you, not striving anymore. Freedom, dear God, to love and be loved by you fully. You, the, the faithful God of Hesed love. I want it, Lord. I want that freedom. Show me this Christmas and set me free again. Thank you, Jesus. That's who you are. And so, Lord, we come. We come to worship you as we think about that, that holy night when you came to set the captives free, to break every chain. Because in you, in your name, Jesus, there's freedom. Freedom from all oppression. We come to worship you. We come to hear from you what's keeping us from the freedom you bought for us. Speak to our hearts now. It's in your name we pray, Lord.